Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and it is my honor tonight to welcome our very special guest, Morgan David Jones. Morgan, thank you. Hello. Thank you for being here with us. How are you doing tonight? Uh, you're more than welcome. I'm great. I'm really actually great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's going to be fun. And guys, just to let you know, we are doing this interview a little bit differently from prior interviews. We are going to be taking your questions live as they're being chatted in. So feel free to ask your questions. We're going to be talking about anything and everything horror related. Before you even, you know, got whiff of this project, were you a fan of the Saw franchise? Uh, yes, I've seen the original um, and I think maybe the fourth. And then I missed quite a few. And I saw Jigsaw. Uh, just recently, but before I actually um, did a film just recently, and I when that actress was in that I was working with Hannah was in Jigsaw, so I wanted to watch it. So I had a more of a limited. I, um, I wasn't the gung ho. I, I mean, I loved them all, uh, loved the ones I saw, but I wasn't the um, fanatic. But now I am a huge, huge fan. I just love the setup. I love the payoff. I love the stylized kind of way that they tell their story. Um, so I'm. Have you? Have you seen them all? Or what? Oh yeah. Any favorites you have? Oh, you know, the first, of course. The first, yeah. because it, I mean, was, it was so contained in that bathroom and just two people yeah. uh, interacting, waking up, not knowing what the hell happened to them. And the whole premise of the movie, even though it just the whole movie took place in one room, it was done so brilliantly. Uh, and then, of yeah. course, it spawned a lot of successful sequels. And I'm glad that from what we understand as fans and viewers is that this spiral movie is a continuation of the franchise but in a with a different spin on it so we just got to wait and see do you know uh i believe the official release date is going to be sometime this summer do you know uh exactly the date um, yeah i was told may 14th um, I think they were talking about May 21st for a while, but I've just gotten a lot of uh, promotions saying May 14th that it's jumped up an extra week. Uh, I guess don't quote me on that, but um, that is what I have found out. And I believe, I think that's what they've been promoting on uh, social media. Okay. Um, so I think we're looking, I think we're definitely looking at May. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a month away. That's, that's just right around, that's right around the corner. Now, one of the stars in uh, Spiral is Chris Rock. Now, I remember I saw Chris Rock for the first time in New Jack City, okay? When he was okay. just like a teenager, very young kid, and he is yeah. one of my favorite comedians. What was it like uh, being with him? Is he, is he a funny guy, in, you know, when he's doing when he's not on stage performing a comedy act or in a movie is he just an overall funny guy to be with yeah I, his energy that you that he like is on on like say on stage doing a stand-up is the energy of him in the room in front of you and so my scene was really just with him in front of in front of you and so he would I mean, every single thing, every time he'd say something was so different, he'd say the line in such different random ways, which was fun for an actor to play off because you just respond differently. Um, but even between takes, he was always is always full of energy, uh, having a laugh with the whole crew, which was really nice to see. Uh, and we were shooting in the middle of Toronto. 
in the middle of summer and we were shooting in this um, kind of like an Asian grocery. And for some reason, I don't understand why, but the they hadn't shut down the grocery to public. So people were still shopping around us while we were still filming. And they just had like PA stopping people from crossing film, like camera. But people were literally picking up melons and walking across the scene while there's blood everywhere. And they're just having a conversation and Chris Rock is there like, you know, it was you. It was as much as we were having making a horror movie. It just felt like we were having a, a really great like comedy kind of duo or something like that. Can you, can you share with us where the film was actually <laughs> shot? Um, is in location in Toronto or yeah, like where which city was it actually filmed in? Uh, so we shot it here in Toronto. Um, for all the scenes I know of, uh, everything was downtown Toronto. I don't know what studio for what they went indoors because I wasn't um, there. But all along Spadina, if anyone knows Toronto, uh, all along Spadina Avenue, um, there's a right near Dundas and Spadina. There's huge grocery stores there, so we were in there. Um, but we shot in and around all the back alleys of Chinatown as well, because to make it seem more of an urban city, that's kind of the biggest, the kind of uh, you know most condensed area in toronto okay cool have you where are you right now i am from originally from new york city uh born and raised 23 years of my life and for the last 23 years i've been living just outside washington dc in northern virginia so but i always uh, consider myself a new yorker you know i was born there raised there no matter how long i'm away i still have my family still there I own a house there, so I will always be, I will always consider myself a a New Yorker. Now, going back further into your career, uh, you appeared on two hit shows. You've appeared on a lot more, but two hit shows that really stand out to me. One is you appeared in an episode of Supernatural, uh, and we'll get to that in a second, but you also appeared in the first season of Designated Survivor which I love that show. Uh, did you get to meet and work with Kiefer Sutherland? I did not, which was so sad. Oh. He's, I, he, I'm such a huge fan. Um, unfortunately, all the days that I was on there uh, was not his storyline or not his side of the storyline of the episode. So with all I, with all sadness, unfortunately, I, uh, I didn't get it. But a funny story with Designated Survivor, though, is I had auditioned... I don't know, maybe five or six different times for different roles and hadn't received it. And I got a text message from the casting agent, maybe it was like on a Saturday afternoon, going, are you free to film on Monday? And I was like, what? Of course. And they had re- they had written this role in last minute to kind of help guide and navigate the side of the story. And they couldn't have any time to audition, so they wanted just to present an actor and present their body of work to the production and then i got a call on like saturday sunday afternoon that i booked it and i was shooting monday morning at like six in the morning so it was just like such a like whirlwind that that could randomly happen but it also shows you for other actors if you may have a great relationship with the casting and you do consistent good work they will always think of you for that kind of stuff if it's last minute you can be that actor who can like snap on as well so but uh anyway no, no, that, that's a great story. It also goes deeper into the Hollywood background saying, hey, if you know them and they've seen you and you know they know that you're good at what you do, sometimes an audition yeah. is not really necessary. And it happens. It's, it's true. 
Exactly. Yeah, and I always say sometimes they're not always auditioning for that role. So I also like I also work with a lot of actors. Um, I run an, uh, my own self tape studio, and so sometimes you're like, oh, I would never really get this role. This is such a huge role. It's going to go to an American, and you're like, don't think of it like that. This is an opportunity to act for that casting agent or that director, mm -hmm. and maybe you may not get that role. But if you do a great um, like a great audition, they will remember you. Like I've had big auditions that I'm like, I knew that I wouldn't get. And I ended up booking something like years later that the director's like, oh, I saw your tape from blah, blah, blah. I always remembered you. And so you can always get that reputation from doing consistent good work and staying focused, I guess. Absolutely. And I was in a, a chat room the other day with a bunch of uh, uh, filmmakers. It was, it's a, it was a clubhouse chat. And somebody gave out the advice, you know, you're trying to break into the acting uh, scene don't go trying to connect with producers or directors. The people you should most be trying to connect with are casting directors. Do you, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, I think because the casting agent, once you can get into that room, the casting agent's the person gonna bring you into that room and you need to do good work so they can trust you. I mean, I, one, I think it's amazing to connect with producers and directors because you can create your own work. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes down to it, I've, I've met directors who have wanted me for production, but I the studio has have said no for certain other reasons. And that's totally okay. I mean, that's kind of the way of the business. Yeah. Uh, but I do think people sometimes do a misstep of uh, missing the casting agent. And they're, they're, they have huge influence because they're the one who brings in the room in the first place. And they also are the person who can talk to the director or the producer going, I know this actor, you need to see them. I know it may not be exactly what you're thinking, but let them prove you wrong. And sometimes that's exactly what, they just need that, you know, that opportunity and then you book the role. So the casting director doesn't have the end all be all say on who gets the role. No, they don't. So the casting agent would be the person, well, not that I'm, not that I'm, fully aware of uh, in my experience with uh, casting. No, the casting agent will put out a brief saying, you know, there's a role called John Doe as, uh, you know, 25 to 35, this is his look sort of thing, this is his characteristics. And agents put you forward and then they go through, say 100 people have been submitted, they go through and look at it and go, actually, we want to audition this 25. And then when it comes down to it, they can, depending on how they want to do it, they can present all 25 to the director and producer or they can do, here are my top seven, and then you can also see the others. So it really depends on which casting, because a lot of them have different ways. But ultimately, they're the one that help guide the director and try to find people and do all the, like, do that hard work investigating, um, trying to find that kind of hidden gem. And then once they do, they present it to the director. And you do need to be signed off from the director, the producer, and then the studio. Because you, know, I've been, like I said before, I've been, like, for a few things, been signed off for a couple of people but missed out from yeah. you know the head like sometimes it comes down to like i look too much like the lead actor and they like you can't okay you're like you know like you can do your best but you have to kind of let it go or yeah. something like that yeah so. i totally get it it's just some things are completely out of control looking back on your career which uh project role are you the most fond of oh um, like which one has left uh, an impact on you that you still think about every so often? Okay, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll answer in a few parts. One, I wish, 
the role that I wish could recur for about three years of my life was Supernatural. Um, I had the best time playing Agent Valente. I had so much fun with the special effects, um, playing a half theme in that kind of world. Um, I think I was 28 at the time, so I was just like, it was just such a blast and such a great crew, great cast. That would be something I really wish if I could ever come back and do, that is something that I would do for a couple of years. Um, a role that just has spoken to me is an upcoming role. Uh, it's called Jupiter's Legacy. It's uh, coming up on Netflix. That's the beginning of May. Uh -huh. And that is a comic book series based superhero. Uh, and I get to play, I guess, an anti-hero um, with superpowers. And I'm like, look, you're looking at, we're, there was a four of us as part of a gang. And we had to like use our superpowers because we we're having this huge fight. And then part of me is just went laughing. I felt like I was that little 12-year-old boy in my bedroom playing like pretending to have all these superhero fights. I'm like, I get paid to do this, to be this kind of role. And that is something that I'm so excited for and I really hope it um, continues. That has made a huge part, uh, impact on my life. One, I've had most amazing friendships from it, um, but I definitely learnt a lot of the process, um, especially with the big budget, like what um, the series is. Okay, I, that totally makes sense. Now let's go back to Supernatural for a minute, okay? okay. It was 2011. It's uh, 10 years ago. Uh, uh, you were 28 or around 28 at the time. Uh, how did it feel to land on, you know, Supernatural has been around for a long time. Do you know in your, uh, in your episode, what season was that in the Supernatural sequence? Uh, season seven. Season I think it's like episode 13 or something like that. So, so you yeah. came into a show that has been established. It's a hit show. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel when you got the call saying you got this part? It was the... I had moved in 2010. So it was only the second thing I'd booked in Canada. Um, so one, I wanted... I love Supernatural. I watched it for many, many years. To book it, I think I was on the train or something like that, on the sub, um, uh, sky train in, in Vancouver. And it, it's just like you're a giddy little kid. Like, you know, all that hard work, all the frustration, all the rejection that you've gone through is completely gone at that moment. And I'm so excited to be part of one of your favorite shows, but also to play a role that you really want to do. And also, like, I've got to play a sneaky kind of bad guy that he's not, you had no idea that he was a bad guy until the end. And I love that. I love being able to play like hidden on the radar that people, you know, like just to kind of have that surprise is something I've always wanted to play a villain on like a big hit horror movie. That's something if anyone ever wants to write for me, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, I was elated more than you could ever have. Uh, you could have imagined. So when you walked onto the set of supernatural into its seventh season, uh, nice size budget. Was it co something completely different than all the stuff you've done prior as far as production, money, uh, and budget and all that other stuff? Uh, no, like, it was probably in the top. Um, I mean, the miniseries I shot when I was maybe 26 was a really big budget that was in Thailand. Um, and then I was on Stargate, so that had quite a huge budget. But this definitely, I mean, it definitely had a nice big budget. What, the thing that stood out to me on, on Supernatural is to come in at season seven, it was a well-oiled machine. 
but it was such an amazing family that was so open and inclusive to everyone. Um, I've been on sets that sometimes, you know, it's been going for a little while that everyone has their kind of pockets and you're there for a couple of days. You don't always like can, you can't always uh, pierce that kind of group. This was the, the polar opposite. Like everyone went out of the way to come across and say hi to you, even if they didn't work with you in the scenes. They would come. I spoke to every single actor in that show. Um, and then the trailers, they would go above and beyond. And it was so fun to go to work every day because they led that charge with like sincerity, inclusivity, and, and warmth. It was, that's again, that's why I would I'd go it's, back. It, and, it, you know. it sounds like a great atmosphere and a great set. Yeah. And, you know, that is so important. We've here, uh, I've had a lot of people say that the set, the people around you, the existing cast, how they treat newcomers who come in, uh, who are so warm. It really affects you as an individual, but it, it affects you uh, in your performance as well to feel like you are accepted uh, as part of the family, even if it is for a short bit. And, but I mean, that's when it's most important is when it's only for a short bit. Yeah. You know, I've been on shows that you come on and like this, it's so warm. And then the other days that you, you, you go on for like, you know, you have a good, great size role for a little while, but it's hard work to kind of get to know anyone or to, and not, not, not to be disrespectful to anybody. Mm-hmm. We all have things going on in our lives and we all obviously deal with stress differently. But it makes a huge difference when someone who has more of a regular or a consistent role goes out of their way to make it home for you to do your best job. Because really, when you're only there for a couple of days, just imagine you're going to school for the first time, brand new school, uh, everybody else knows each other but you, and you're going to come in and then you're going to stand up in front of the class and do your best work. I mean, it's kind of, it's scary, you know? And so when someone goes out of their way for you, it... I, I know what I've learned from being in the industry is I can't wait to be that series regular to make sure that every single person who comes onto that set, even for a day, I'm going to make sure that that is the best day they've ever had. Because I think that makes the show better. And I think it makes yeah. being on set better. And it will just ultimately what you give, you receive. So, yeah. Absolutely. Makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Now, you've done some voice acting as well. The question that I want to ask you is... Um, we have seen Australians, British, come and do the American accent perfectly, okay? Uh, now, the opposite, Americans trying to do British or Australian or whatnot, in my opinion, they butcher it. <laughs> I, I really cannot think of a single person that I could say really nailed it. So... Right. Uh, did you take any kind of like voice uh, classes classes to get the American, whether you know, dialect, accent, whatever you want to call it, uh, perfected? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, so when I went to drama school, so that's uh, theater school. So it was like a three year intensive, five days a week, sometimes six days a week. Um, all we did was acting. It was at it's Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And you do voice for the entire time there. And so we learned accent and dialects through the entire three years. Now, to be honest, I wasn't actually great at the American accent. I think I was okay and passable, but I was definitely not. I didn't think I was actually bookable as an American. Definitely when I graduated, when I was like 24 or whatever it was, I was not. Um, But then when I I did streetcar, which was American, you have 
we did six months of the tour and you have a dialect coach with you designated for the cast, especially because it's obviously it's going to be specific to the city and the time period. Um, and so I definitely developed doing that for six months um, every single day for nine hours a day. Um, but when I moved to Vancouver, the biggest uh, and best dialect coach I've ever worked with is called Tony Appenthal. He's in Vancouver. Big shout out to him. Um, he just... The way that he communicated or the way that he kind of just cleared things up, he was able to just make things so succinct and crisp that my entire accent changed. You know, when I first auditioned in Vancouver, I had a couple of comments that maybe my accent wasn't completely on point. But after working with Tony and working hard, um, that all disappeared, you know. And now I get sometimes, I actually on Supernatural, funnily enough, the director... Um, it's escaped me and my apologies, but he came up to me on like the third day and he only, that was the only time that he realized I was Australian because I went in the room as an American. I was always on set as an American. And, uh, and that is what I've always wanted to do to like, to make no excuse for my accent, because if I'm an actor, I need to be the best I can possibly be. And I can play that role. So I need to make sure I can do that role properly. Is there, uh, are you the, the kind of actor that when you're on set between takes, you stay in the American accent or do you break it and go to your Australian accent? Uh, I break it and go to my Australian. I, I just, I find there's actually, no, that's a, some, it depends on the scene because there are some times when it's a very wordy um, movie or script that I'm working on that I, it actually helps me to continue in more of a North American kind of tone. Um, but it's a lot of thought to do another accent especially if you're just talking normally, I have to think what I'm about to say, but then I have to filter it and say it differently in places in my, you know, like, so sometimes I'm like, I'm exhausted after a 16 hour day. The last thing I want to do is talk to someone else in an American accent. Yeah. So it becomes free and it's whatever comes out, what comes out really. So what, yeah. what is like, if you could share with us when you are taking lessons on doing the American accent, what is like, give us a tip that they give you to, to make it work. Just share, I'm really curious. What's like the biggest tip or the biggest secret to going from a British or Australian accent and pulling off the American accent? Um, well, I mean, there's a few things, I guess it's, it depends on how you learn. A lot of people learn differently, like phonetics by like seeing it. Other people are completely by their ear. For me, funnily enough, I don't know why. So my my all my best mates call my American accent my Batman voice because I drop like an an octave and it becomes very masculine, which is very different to what I normally sound like in a weird way. Um, and so, for, oddly, I guess the way that I've gotten into it when I've uh, been um, kind of stuck is there's a phrase called your honor i'm a lawyer and that's all i would always drill that before i'd have to speak it'd be like your honor i'm a lawyer your honor i'm a lawyer like i'd get into it like you know and, and then i just be you know that's how i would kind of get it in my body and for some reason the american accent sits like in my mouth differently and in my chest differently and so that was a step in for me if that makes sense that, that makes perfect sense i don't know if that was help was that helpful yeah i wanted to know what, what what's the little tip what's the trick that you guys use in my opinion there are two British actors who are really great at pulling off the American dialect. Uh, 
Have you ever watched The Walking Dead? No, Andrew Lincoln, who plays... Yeah, Rick he's Ryan. fantastic. Fantastic. He's, he's flawless in that. You yeah. haven't even had a clue. That yeah, was, and yeah. not only does he have to pull off an American accent, he has to pull off uh, an American Southern accent. Yeah. The second person... Oddly easy Yes, yes. The second person is Hugh Laurie. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with Hugh Laurie. House, yeah. And when he was doing House... Uh, I don't know what's harder for someone to do a southern accent or to pull off the New Jersey, which was, you know, his character and house. But Hugh Laurie, when I first heard Hugh Laurie uh, speaking in his regular voice, my wife was sitting next to me. I'm like, oh, my God, he's British. <laughs> yeah, I, it's such a bit of a head spin when that actually happens, especially when you've only watch them in one accent and they start speaking in their completely different kind of tone it's it's amazing look like i have to say new jersey is for me personally a very hard accent i had to learn it recently and i don't think i did it very well but it was like it was a bit of a it was a bit of a head fuck in that way it, it is it is and you know some people just pull it off naturally like we've heard yeah. i've had guests i've worked with andrew lincoln and they say he is the actor when he comes on set till he leaves. He does not break out of that yeah. American uh, uh, dialect. So let's talk horror, okay? And let's ask, yeah. you know, the all-time good horror questions. Who is your favorite horror villain of all time? Oh, I would have to, have to say Michael. Michael Myers. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic. My, I'm sorry, that's that's the living crap out of me when I was a kid. You know, I always say to my audience, you know how you can tell who is uh, the best horror serial killer from the slasher movies is the one that's still around. And Michael Myers, yeah. they're still, still they're still making movies, yeah. successful movies really? on Michael Myers. Now you mentioned yeah. that you are a fan of the paranormal subgenre in horror you yep. mentioned some of your favorite movies include the blair witch project the shining now when you when if someone comes to you and they have never seen the shining right uh let's forget about stephen king's novel uh how would you describe the shining would you describe it as a haunted hotel movie or would you describe it to what Stephen King actually intended it to be? I don't know if you know that oh. him and Kubrick sort of disagreed on how the movie should go. Uh, you know, Kubrick made it more about a paranormal hotel. Stephen King's book was about the gift of the shine and so on. So how would you describe The Shining? I mean, I... I... I guess I would lean towards the um, the haunted house, but I feel like there's more of this like psychological element to The Shining that um, goes with this like cabin fever structure that this guy eventually loses his mind, and then part of me is like, is it the house? Or did that even exist? Like as in the the everything that went on, did that actually exist, or was that part of his own brain that allowed him to then like you know? kind of go off the deep end. What do you think? I I think, well, first of all, it's a, the way Kubrick shot it, it was a paranormal yeah. movie. Did you see the sequel right. that came out recently within the last couple of years, Doctor Sleep? Doctor Sleep? No, I have not. Oh, you have to. It's an amazing movie. 
uh, and it's more to what Stephen King intended The Shining to be. And it's a brilliant film. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but at the end, it does end up going back to the Overlook Hotel. So you definitely uh, have to see that. Now, you mentioned to me that uh, one of your other favorite movies is Hereditary, which stars Toni Collette. Toni Collette is a brilliant actress. She also appeared in The Sixth Sense, uh, another successful movie. So uh, describe your experience with Toni and what did you guys work on together? So Tony was um, one of the leads in the miniseries that I shot in Thailand. So it was about the tsunami miniseries. I played um, the eldest son of a, one of the British families that were holidaying there the whole time. So my character, I, my father and I got hit by the wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my mother, um, Gina McKee, um, and her, my younger brother um, to try to find us. And Tony Collette played um, an Australian helping out the aid during that time. So the work, I mean, I had a lot of fun as Morgan with Tony because we were on, we lived in the same hotel, we're on the same set, but my character was always in a coma whenever she was there. Uh, So I never got to really act opposite her, but I always had a great time with her. And she was, she is the most down to earth, casual um, person that I've ever met. Like I met her in like, you know, slacks and just a tank top and she was so, Easy going, it was amazing, and to see, like I loved the Sixth Sense, like beyond belief, um, and to know to see her performance in that was insane. She she's a great actress, uh, no doubt about it. Moving forward, uh, you've played villains in horror TV shows and whatnot. Uh, do you have a preference? Do you like playing the antagonist over the good guy? Is there a certain thrill as far as acting goes to being the bad guy? Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I mean, yes and no. So I, I grew up doing theater, and I often played the sweet, nice guy in theater. I played Romeo. I played, you know, the more quiet, vulnerable kind of types character. And for some reason in film and TV, I always, always play, a lot of people refer to me like Edward Norton in a way, that like this baby-faced killer, um, which was fantastic because he's an incredible actor. But that really being kind of just like, you know, the sweet kind of boy next door look actually works well for playing a villain because people kind of don't always suspect that's going to be you. Um, I have to say, because I've done a I recently I've done a lot of kind of uh, romantic comedies, which is great being a nice guy and it's always nice to fall in love. But there's some thrill about being that, that villain that just makes, it really is a lot of fun. You know, like that you can, I feel like it allows you a big, well, allows me a bigger range to play and freedom to just kind of be a little bit ridiculous and to see how far you can go and push people's buttons as your characters. Um, and the, the guy that saves the day all the way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any interest whatsoever, uh, maybe at some point down the line in your career, uh, dabbling in some producing, maybe even directing? Uh, that would be a dream. Um, I've uh, directed and produced theater before, but it's a completely different beast doing uh, film and TV. Um, absolutely. I would love to be... I, I, I'm surprised at how much I enjoy producing because I am a bit of a control freak, so I kind of I love the idea of being there and kind of putting out in any flame that could possibly go off. Um, but it would be... It would be an incredible opportunity to be a director and work with people and just to be able to help them 
guide a story and create these most amazing moments. And you can, when you work with an actor and they kind of finally get things and it kind of clicks for them, you feel like a proud parent. I don't, I'm not a parent, but I feel like it's, it's like, wow, like you to see them kind of ignite with passion and understanding of that moment, it's, yeah, it's beyond incredible. Tell so us, yes, I do. T- tell us about uh, the, uh, you mentioned an upcoming project that's being released on Netflix. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, so it's called Jupiter's Legacy. Uh, it is by Mark Miller, um, who it's Miller World. So when Netflix obviously lost all of Marvel and all those sort yeah. of uh, programs, and so they bought up quite a few different ones, and Miller World was one of them. And Mark Miller has been obviously a like, very famous um, comic book writer, story writer. And, um, and this set is set in 1920s and 30s, and then 2020. So... Uh, it's a part of a three book series. So there's Jupiter's Circle, um, Jupiter's Legacy, and then Jupiter's Requiem. Um, and so there's two books in each and they've kind of amalgamated them all um, to kind of do, it's like flash forwards and flashback. So it's really how the first people ever become superheroes ever in the, like in the history of the world. So you kind of follow them, which with Leslie Bibb and Josh Dumel, Matt Lanter, or the, they're all part of the first original Ben uh, Daniels, um, they're all part of the original kind of superheroes. And then they have their children who then inherit these super um, powers, but we also didn't want them. So therefore there's kind of an utter disregard to having these powers. It's something that we kind of grew up with. And so my kind of story is attached to one of the main guys, but we're kind of a gang of like, you know, drug dealers. We use our powers for not for the greatest of goods. Um, which is a lot of fun to kind of be what well, we always call ourselves like the guardians of the galaxy kind of we're a misfit kind of bunch that uh, Just have a great time kind of messing things up if that makes sense. So I got to play Jack Frost, which oh. is uh, I had white hair for six months of my time um, I get to hang out and, like I got to actually work in more of a thick Australian accent, which was great So I played a complete surfer um, that hangs out and will be hanging out in the North Pole and in, in uh, some Speedos in season two. So uh, it's a lot of fun and I cannot wait for it to come out. It's, uh, it's been a little while since we've done it. And it's coming out in May? May 7th. So really a week before Spiral. And I shot Spiral and Jupiter's Legacy at uh, right after each other, right in between each other actually. So. It's nice for them to come out at the same time, like 18 months to two years later. That is pretty cool. And that's a long time to wait. I mean, I can imagine you, and this is pretty common. You shoot something and then you have to be quiet. You can't share it with anybody really outside of your family circle. You've got to keep your mouth shut about it. That must be yeah. very difficult, isn't it? It is. I mean, there is something like with, with Spiral and some of the big, big movies I've done as an actor in it. I wasn't even allowed to read the ending. So I have only read certain parts of the movie um, that they wouldn't like release. So I'm even, I'm excited for it to come out just to, to know what happens to kind of figure it out. I kind of have an idea because I know sort of, but it's still going to be a mystery for me. But yeah, to sit on something and to go, hey guys, I, I booked something really exciting, but I can't tell you about it, but I'll tell you in two years. <laughs> is uh, it's, it's, it's a good kind of experience, but I mean, that's the lay of the land, right? That's the way it works. And one last question before we go. Uh, I like to ask this question to a lot of my guests. Moving forward in your career, you let's say you have two options. 
get job security on a TV show that's going to last for several seasons and your role is going to be there in almost every episode or have a succession of big Hollywood hit films, which way would you rather go? Um, I honestly think, I, I think I'm leaning towards the television. It's not about the job security or like having something hit. It's more in the sense I get to play and have fun every single day for a continual amount of time on a character that hopefully I'll love um, and a story that I love because, I mean, that says a lot. Um, but, yeah, I think I would like – I mean, it would be great to be in a big film, but I, my dream is to be in a hit show that would last, like, six or seven seasons that I got to play a huge range um, for that character. That would be amazing because I think you learn so much um, doing that and having the security and family around you. Um, I think I would go, go for TV, not for security, but just for, uh, like, an artistic kind of uh, – play and also build a character in your own way and get the yeah. time to actually develop it and the way you want to develop well, you just, it you look at like actors who are like on say like breaking bad or something like that you know the beginning of the the characters in the beginning season and then where they go in season five like i like to be able to be one of those actors to have helped create and kind of see that journey would be insane absolutely so, yeah. what is your favorite current TV show doesn't have to be horror, whatever it is. What is your favorite current TV show? Um, you know, I just this, I don't know. I just finished watching The Crown. I watched four seasons in three and a half weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you know, but Toronto is in kind of like six months of lockdown, and we're still in another month of lockdown, so we can't really do much. Yeah, but we powered through. Um, I didn't think it was going to be something that I would fall in love with. But the acting is so sublime that I I could we we would stay up all night watching because we just couldn't stop. Uh, what's yours? I ooh horror wise, well of course I'm a big Walking Dead fan, but I'm in love with the new show Clarice that takes place after the Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yeah, that's shot here in Toronto. Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, Michael Cudlitz uh marty carpenter who's been a guest on our show it is shot in toronto uh love it i absolutely love how they took the clary storyline and you know the show takes place uh in 1993 which is a year after the buffalo bill events of the movie yeah. of silence of the lambs so that i would say of course the walking dead i love the walking dead i've been a walking dead fan since the beginning yeah and then i would have to say clarice is my second favorite right. show uh, i haven't seen it but i've only heard good things so well it's only that. like five episodes in so if you want to catch up you don't have that much to go uh morgan okay. thank you so much for joining us this has been an absolute treat uh thank you guys i apologize for the technical difficulties uh any last thoughts you want to share uh i have to stay safe everyone but have an amazing amazing time i hope you enjoy spiral um get out and watch it however you possibly can safely and uh let us know how you uh, how you like it follow me and uh tell me your thoughts absolutely i am definitely looking forward to that guys thank you so much for tuning in uh morgan thank you so much for being with us until next time, guys, on behalf of Morgan and myself, stay safe, stay walking. Good night. Mm -hmm.